Afternoon, good evening. I'm Dove Tuzman, and you're back on Equal Footing. Our topic this evening is something I've wanted to cover on this show for a long time, and finally had the opportunity to book it to have two wonderful guests discussing the feminine divinity in Judaism, the Shekhinah, the feminine attributes of the of the divine both from a mystical perspective and from a theological perspective. I'm joined by Hannah Karlbach. And Hannah is the director of the BMC in S- Center in Quebec uh, with thousands of students worldwide. She's a world-known, world-renowned uh, speaker and coach and mentor specializing in intimate relations. She has 33 years of experience coaching new brides and couples in the Jewish world. Her greatest passion is training Taharis Amishbacha teachers, which I'm sure she'll explain to us lay people what that is. <laughs> She's currently developing a similar curriculum for men. And Hannah is the Rebetzin of the House of Israel congregation with over 1,000 families. She's the protagonist in two documentaries and uh, the one is, I guess, called, it's on, on Shekhinah. One is called The Intimate Life of the Jewish Woman. And the other is Women Leading the Way in the New Era. She's received prestigious honors from the Federation CJA in Montreal for excellence in education. And together with her husband, this is the most important part, she is most grateful to God for her 13 children and grandchildren. So welcome, Hana. Hopefully we've got Hannah on the air. I will introduce our other guests in the meantime. Last but definitely not least, Nahami Feinland. And Nahami grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, she attended Beth Rifka in both elementary and high school there and then did her postgraduate studies in the Tzvat Seminary in Israel. And at the College of Staten Island, she obtained both her BS and her MA in special education. Nahami combines her vivacious personality with unique talents and people skills and has become a very sought-after teacher and community leader. She's the Rebetzin at the Chabad Lubavitch Center of Rest in Herndon, Virginia, and she's the wife and mother of seven big families. Beautiful. She's a mentor to many, and women of all ages from across a wide community attend her classes and lectures. And I think that's a point I'd like to start with Hannah and Hami, that this show, if if someone's listening who is not uh, an Orthodox, observant Jewish person, uh, if you're not even Jewish at all, and this show is certainly not gender-specific, listen to this because there's something to get out of a conversation of the feminine aspect of, of the divine. This isn't just, this isn't a show that would be a little bit more, I wouldn't say rote, but has been done before about the Jewish law and rituals and customs around gender roles. That's an interesting topic. Maybe we'll cover that in a separate show, but this is something that can really touch upon anybody's spiritual path, man or woman, in acknowledging and understanding, uh, and in, in, 
in appreciating what we mean by the feminine divine. So having said that, I think we've got both of our guests in the line. And, and Hannah Karlbach, first of all, the name of the show is actually Shekhinah, the feminine divine in Judaism. What is Shekhinah? So the Shekhinah is God's presence, and it actually means to dwell, that it's God's dwelling in this world. And it's come to mean, or I mean, it is discussed in, in you know, the liturgy, that the Shekhinah means the feminine aspect of God. You know, is God male? Is God female? God is actually, you know, has both, or both, all of it emanates. Masculine attributes and feminine attributes emanate from God. And we see that in the beginning when God created the world. So God said, let us make man in our image, in my image, in my image. And it says, and then he created them male and female. So the Shekhinah refers to the feminine aspects of God and God dwelling in this world and being seen um, and revealed. So the terms that are often used in in the Torah and is as Jews would refer to it in the Old Testament, as Christians would refer to it, in the Hebrew, the words for God, like Elohim, for example, are, as I understand it, generally in the masculine form, at least in the written page. Uh, is that, Hannah, uh, is it, is it, am I misunderstanding that? When we talk about the combination of the feminine and masculine attributes of God, um, is there something that happens kind of on the way to the forum, so to speak, and in the way that it's in, in the pedagogy or in, in, in the received religious texts? It's, it's not referred to that way, or am I wrong? Well, uh, in general, when when there's uh, masculine and feminine, usually we use the masculine terminology. So it makes many times we will say he, but it includes the she. So really, I to see. understand many things, you actually have to go deeper into the understanding and say, okay, so what is God? God doesn't have a body, a shape, a form, and actually, we refer to God he and she. We're actually not being accurate because God is neither he nor she. But but has within God, within God, so to say, um, from God emanates all attributes, both masculine and feminine. So really to describe God more clear or more profound or more real, it would be the masculine and feminine aspect of God. Right, and Elohim is actually a, a plural form. That's like lords in That's a right. sense. So that makes sense to me. Nechami, Nechami Feinland... Let's let's address an elephant in the room right out of the box, and we're going to invite callers to participate in this conversation. Or as always, on equal footing, you can also text questions. It often protects anonymity if you're shy about being on the air. And that's without going down the rabbit hole of you know social politics and perception, just to set us on the right ground. Is is Judaism a uh, is it patriarchal? Is it matriarchal? Obviously, by bloodline, you, to be Jewish, your mother has to be Jewish. But then, you know, it, there are many people that see it as patriarchal in terms of, you know, functions and roles. Is, is it right to think of it as, as one or the other? And does that matter in terms of discussion of the feminine divine tonight? Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate being on your show. Um, that's great a great question. Um, it's, it's a question that comes on up often, especially when I'm speaking to an audience of, you know, women and men of different backgrounds. Some have grown up with traditions and some haven't. So when we 
look at Judaism sometimes from an outside perspective. What is the public part of Judaism that we see? That's the synagogue. And today, more than, you know, think about 100 years ago, 200 years ago, it's a more modern way of expressing our Judaism. We think the synagogue is the public place for Judaism. So we kind of think that encompasses everything about Judaism. Mm -hmm. So it's easy for someone to assume that it's, you know, very masculine-dominated, there are so many opportunities for men to express their Judaism, where can I find a place for my feminine energies or for me as a woman? Because that is the open kind of picture that we're getting. But when one begins to learn and understand more what Judaism is, we really see that so much more than goes on in the synagogue is meant to go on at home, in creating a home that has an atmosphere that is Jewish, that has faith of God, that has a love for our identity. That is the work that takes place in the home. And that is where the feminine personality gets to kind of um, take that place and take that role and take the lead in that. So when, you know, if we're just going to look at what we see for a moment without learning and understanding, one may mistakenly assume. So there's actually room for both. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to do this show tonight, because there's so much misperception on on this issue, and and, and especially in, in... popular media it's been it's been exciting over the last few years to see you know on netflix and on network television shows about uh orthodox lifestyle in a certain sense i feel like it's there's something ripe i guess around our um our general social intercourse and idea and exchange of ideas that that's brought that to the fore and it's also been hard at times for me to at least see some of the 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 stereotypical pr- uh, projections and interpretations I don't think capture the the the, the more um, subtle understanding and that's what we're trying to get to here too tonight so we're talking about Shekhinah and the it, which is the kind of feminine aspect of of Judaism as as Hannah told us really dwe- you know dwelling or setting but it's it's the feminine aspect of the divine presence of God in the in the Jewish faith. I'm joined by Hannah Karlbach and Nahami Feinland, both um, respected teachers and mentors and coaches, community leaders, rebbitzins on this uh, to to communities at large and specifically on issues of the the uh, feminine aspects of this uh, spiritual path. Participate in the conversation. Don't feel Shy, and no question is a dumb question. You don't have to be Jewish to participate. Give us a perspective in your walk of life, in your faith, if it isn't the represented on on the call here with myself and the guests. Call 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090 to be live on the air. You can say your name. You also don't have to. Or you can text a question with a name or without. I will respect your confidentiality. To 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. And we do during the, the show accept both text messages by SMS as well as WhatsApp messages on that uh, line. All right. We're going to go to our first break in a moment. But, Hannah, I thought for for the men who are listening, including me, I'm listening to, to, to you guys drop some wisdom here. Uh, what is... Before we go to break, the most misunderstood, um, 
What what is the greatest misperception do you think about the woman's role or the and or the feminine aspect of Judaism? Um, like Nahami said, I, I feel that people look at what they see and not really at what there is. And male and female were meant to work together to um, unite and bring this world to a place of unification, which can only happen when we work together and we bring each other's strength to the table. So the world is like a world of competition, which we know is more of a, you know, more of conquering and a man's, you know, way of going about things. And now it's coming to more of collaboration. And it's really about appreciating the strengths and working together to make this world a godly world where, where will be peace and harmony. And that's really what we're here to do, you know, to, to connect. To, to work together and to bring our, our strength. So it's almost like that there's a misperception that there's a, that there's gender duality, that there's less gender duality than it might look like from the outside, that it's like a, to put it in an Eastern sense, a couple of weeks ago we had a wonderful uh, show on Buddhism and I learned a lot and it's like the, the yin and the yang, like there, that there are these different aspects of the divine entity and that separation to some degree is, is an illusion or it's not, not the point. <laughs> we might be, mis- we might be missing the plot on that. Is that, is that like a fair way to, to paraphrase? Yes, yeah, because like according, you know, to, to Kabbalah and mysticism, both male and female contain male and female attributes, you know, um, and they're both really important and really good. And the question is, what is our role and how, how can we learn from each other? You know, it's really interesting because people think that this is like a new thing or religion is finally catching up, you know, to the world. But just a few weeks ago, we taught her, we spoke about the daughters of Tzilapchad, five brilliant women whose father passed away. They wanted the land, uh, to inherit the land of their father. And what's interesting, if we look about this in the Bible, when they came to, when they decided to come forth, what they said is, mankind favors men over women, but God is not like that. <laughs> right. That's a great, that's a great uh, about- place to take a quick pause. We're going to take a break. We're talking to Hannah Karlbach and Nahami Feinland about Shekhinah. I'm trying to pronounce this correctly, which is the feminine divine in Judaism. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. But when she gets weary... Try a little tenderness, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that. Mm. You know All right, little Otis Redding. We have to talk about our sponsors. I love talking about our sponsors. Mechanical Art Capital has been with us since the beginning here at Equal Footing, and Mechanical Art Capital is a easy-to-access way to get liquidity for your watch collection or your watch inventory if you're a dealer anywhere in the world. Maybe you are in the business already. You know someone who's in the business. It's a very unique model. It's uh, It's been kind of innovating the way that financing works in the watch and jewelry industry. You can unlock the cash value of your watch collection or inventory easily, often overnight, maximum within 48 hours. It's through these guaranteed buyback contracts, so there's no actual interest involved, and you're 
basically getting cash from inventory or a collection that's sitting in a safe anyway. For more information, call Mechanical Art Capital at 833-209-0972. That's 833-209-0972. Operators are standing by. Or you can go to mechanicalartcapital.com. That's mechanicalartcapital.com. And if you mentioned you heard about Mechanical Art Capital's watch asset-based financing system on equal footing, you will get a free appraisal of your entire inventory or collection, which has real monetary value for anybody who's had to do that for insurance before. So call Mechanical Art Capital right away. I've been caught. All right, you're back on Equal Footing. We're talking about Shekhinah, the feminine divine in Judaism. I'm joined by Hannah Karlbach and Nahami Feinland, who are renowned teachers, mentors, coaches, coaches uh, across wide community in their respective places of residence in, in Quebec and, uh, and in uh, Reston, uh, Virginia, and specifically have expertise on issues of intimacy and uh, couples and the feminine aspect of the divine in Judaism. Okay, so we we've covered a little bit of ground here around the idea that there's kind of a there's that the duality is a bit of a of a um, illusion when it comes to people seeing observant Judaism and thinking like there are these um, really differentiated roles. It's either patriarchal, it's matriarchal thinking, matriarchal thinking about what uh, perspective. It's really a it's really a, a, a combination of um, differences to, to create a beautiful whole. I want to bring it now, though, a little bit into the more into the mystical realm. And Hannah, maybe you can help us out. I've heard in prepping for the show and over a lifetime of being interested on the subject, I've heard about. Let me just throw out a couple things that you can riff on. One is that the, the that in Judaism. In Jewish thought, women are more pure energetically than men, that they don't have to you know, pray as much because they're closer to God by, by nature. I've heard that, in fact, the early Israelites were uh, following a path that, that, that originated with feminine divine um, descriptions and characteristics. There's been discussion about the importance of the Hebrew matriarchs and how if you you can read the Torah from a, a perspective that actually puts the matriarchs kind of in a in a front seat with respect to to how um, our people have evolved talk, talk to us about this any of those points but also bring us into that into that mystical realm what where does feminine energy in our world right now as a woman where does that meet Jewish thought? I think this is a really, really important concept, and I always tell women when they feel that women might be second class, I say, it can only come from a place of, you know, a lack of knowledge. Because the minute you start really um, learning, researching our Torah, you know, even the plain thing, you just um, see stories of replete of women leaders, women respected. If we even start from, you know, from uh, from Sarah, God said, whatever 
just tells Abraham, right? Whatever Sarah, your wife, says, listen to her voice. Every I have a course that actually shows that every single holiday that we observe came about through a woman or a woman played major roles right. in that holiday. Um, you know, it's the spirit, it's, we understand that women are more spiritually in tune with God. Not, not because, like, we, we, you know, so to say, but because we were granted this as a gift from God to be able to feel the divine, because women are, so to say, more focused inward, you know, and what, what is, what is um, that's the ability to see that which is not present, to be able to know that which is not obvious. And a woman has the, a greater ability to do that. It's so much about godliness, spirituality, not really so apparent to the naked eye. And what you have to do is look deeper, search deeper, become in tune energetically and spiritually, and this is our gift. And that's why it's our responsibility as women to reveal this godliness in the world, because this is our specialty. So, Nahami, does this mean that the idiomatic expression of, you know, women have better intuition or when we make reference to female intuition, is that in line then with Jewish philosophy? Maybe it comes from Jewish philosophy? Um, it's very much in line with that. When we, um, we have this concept um, in Kabbalah of this concept of Bina, which is considered understanding, but it's also the development of an idea in great depths, in stages, a process. So, like, we have this concept called Chachma, which is just that initial thought, you know, the potential for much. But then, if it is going to go into any practical application or be expanded in any way, that is the faculty that we all have called Bina, of understanding and wisdom, and creating something beyond that initial thought. And this is a gift to women in line with what Hannah said, that this, this ability to feel the Bina and to understand the Bina is something that we can kind of tune into perhaps a little easier through our feminine attributes and through the role that the Torah asks us to fill. So is it fair then to say that women are seen as more pure, there's like more transparency, a better ability to have the the Bima? I'm just trying to, the Bima, I'm trying to Um, address that archetype. Right. I wouldn't necessarily use the word more, more pure, mm-hmm. but perhaps can access it a little easier, which is why men were commanded to do many more things from the Torah. Many more of the mitzvot were given to men, and they're obligated in them. Because for them to feel this divine that comes to a woman more naturally, they need the tools of the mitzvot. All the mitzvot are there to guide men and help them feel the divine within themselves and the world around them. That is why they were given more to help them on this journey. And that was part of what actually led to this show is this, this concept of that, that men are kind of need to go through more in a sense to get to the same spot, uh, which as a Jewish and somewhat observant Jewish man, I found, um, I found interesting. I'm a bit jealous. <laughs> Hannah, talk I mean, to us for a second about the, the idea also of a, a man is, you know, has to be circumcised at birth, where a woman doesn't right. have anything that she needs to be removed in order to feel close to God. Right. 
Right. And, and you know, someday, and, and, uh, you, you <laughs> I, I'm sure I'm going to get hot water to say this, but someday I've wanted to do a, a show, a, a show uh, really about, about circumcision because it is, um, it's not, it's not spoken about and it's an, such an, it's not spoken about as much, I would say, in the public square. And it's such an extraordinary, um, sacrifice. Uh, it's, and, and, uh, an extraordinary demonstration of, of, of commitment. I want to, you touch on the Hebrew matriarchs because I'm sure there are listeners who would not be able to even name one. So, Hannah, who who are the Hebrew matriarchs, or who are some of the most important Hebrew matriarchs? And maybe give us a little snippet as to how they reflect the the divine. We talk about Sarah, you know, and she is the she is the prototype of whatever you know, knowing what her children need. Uh, being in charge of the education of her child, you know, Isaac, who's going to continue the line of the Jewish people, knowing how to protect him from influences. And God himself comes and says to Abraham, whatever your wife, Sarah, says, do what she needs, you know, do what she says. We have, you know, Rivka, Rebecca, the same exact thing. She knew what did she knew, need to do in order to ensure that, you know, the line would continue, that the church children would grow up properly. We have the stories of Rachel and Leah. Um, we continue on, and many people do know about, you know, Queen Esther and the role that she played to ensure Judaism actually giving up her home life in order to save, you know, the masses. Um, right. And then we have the women of Egypt who actually, did, you know, what did they do is that, that they um, concentrated on their family and continuing, even though times looked bleak, it was difficult, it was hard, Husbands were depressed, didn't want to go on, and they said, you know, we must keep up the morale. We must persevere in order to bring the redemption. And so we really have the, the gamut of what is needed, the many roles of the women, you know, on the one hand, being super involved and, you know, making home a priority and knowing that we're, that's where the base is and when the base is strong, the rest is strong. And then women who need, no, it's not enough. We need to go out in the community. We need right. to be the leaders and, you know, the shakers, so to say, to make sure that the environment is conducive to bringing up these children that we've worked so hard, so to say, to bring into the world. And both both examples are accepted, so to speak, or supported in Jewish theology, meaning the example exactly. of, the, of the woman as the as as focusing on the home, the dwelling and also the 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 woman who is out as a community leader. That's right. Exactly. And it's like I always say it's a juggling act, you know? Right. It's like when do we do more? Sometimes it's the family and we're gonna have to say, like, I'm sorry, right now I need to concentrate on my family and sometimes we're gonna tell the family, right now the community needs me and this is what we need to do as a family. So it's really a balancing act, you know? Let's... Um and trying to figure it out, but both both are needed and both are necessary. Let's address that balance once more here before we go to our next break. And Nahami, I'm, I'm going to tie this a little bit into a, a popular culture or at least something that's really part of the, our existing uh, gestalt as a society. And that is that this idea that we all have when it comes to sexuality or it's a spectrum. So that, that as a man, there are aspects of my sexuality that are feminine. As a woman, there are aspects that are masculine. I'm not saying that's a Jewish point of view. I'm saying that's become kind of a de jour, um, point of view in, 
in sociology and in psychology. Um, that that there's a, a spectrum, and different people sit on different places in the in the in the spectrum. Is it fair to say, hopefully without touching on our third rail or being too controversial, that that in Jewish thought, as men, we we need to also connect with our feminine aspect in our spiritual development that that balance actually exists within one human being of, of a specific gender and vice versa for women so it's very interesting because when we talk about um, our relationship with god it calls us the bride and god is the groom so when we think of you know our connection and the energies that we are getting from god we are kind of like the receiver which is kind of more, a more feminine term and all of us are like that in the way that we should connect to Hashem and in the way that we do the mitzvot. So it's, you know, it's really fascinating because I think um, specifically men are going to play this, you know, they kind of have to straddle both at all different times, their masculine pull, but at the same time in religious life there's a lot of that feminine attributes that they bring to the table in their fulfillment and in their learning and in their connecting to God. So it's like you said, you know, um, we all have both, you know, we have one that's stronger than the other, but it's interesting how men have that dual, you know, presentation in their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, the relationship with others, with their family, with their spouses, they bring their more masculine mm-hmm. side. And, you know, with God, it's, you know, understanding that as a nation, we are considered the bride. That's fascinating. I'd never heard that before. So as a Jewish man, I'm kind of embracing the feminine aspect of my relationship with God as I'm davening or as I'm conscious of my role in, in religious observance, and then in my in my home life, uh, I'm taking on more of the, the masculine aspect. That I mean, that resonates with me. It's fascinating to hear it that way. Absolutely put. That's so correct. So where on the other side, before I, we have to go to the break in a sec, but where, does, where do then women in Jewish theology and Jewish thought embrace their masculine aspect? Um, so the masculine aspect we often see um, in the, the women who were prophets. So although most of the prophets were men in our history, there were some women who were prophets. And when they took the role of, you know, we need to say specifically what needs to be done, I need to give instructions, I need to command a certain way, I need to kind of perhaps be a little more removed in creating dynamics. And we have those issues, you know, today. Sometimes we need to um, create more boundaries. Um, We need to look for what is the absolute goal right here. These are some masculine traits that we will take on when we're raising our families and we're bringing godliness into our home. But I think for the most part it's the men who have, you know, the both of those that they're kind of, you know, going back and forth between. And for the women it's more feminine. Interesting. So that, 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 that finding that balance is more of a male spiritual journey in, in, in Jewish thought. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Hannah Karlbach and Nechami Feinland talking about Shekhinah, the feminine divine in Judaism. You're on equal footing. Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. 
With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skin care surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on and I've been told Are you back on Equal Footing? I'm Dove Tuzman and I'm here with my guests. Nahami Feinland and Hannah Karlbach have graciously agreed to talk openly tonight about the feminine aspect of the divine in Judaism. And I'd love to be, I'd love to do a show like this about each of the spiritual paths that, that are out there. But obviously I'm most familiar with Judaism as, as a Jewish person. And there's probably, you know, Unfortunately, maybe it's up there in terms of where the, the the path where stereotypes can kind of prevail from outside of the community. And I I want to address that head on. We've gotten uh, several text questions, uh, four or five actually on on this issue. And and I'm going to distill a couple. I'll, I'll maybe quote a couple directly, but distill a couple. So in generally, the tone here. Kana is that we're getting some text questions about okay, you know, absorbing the mystical and theological point of view, but then questioning why there are, uh, from certain people's perceptions, such rigid rules that seem to apply to women more than to men, uh, particularly around uh, intimacy. And maybe you could address that for listeners that might not understand, might not even know that the rules around. Um, being intimate in a couple when uh, the woman is in her menstrual cycle or in her, in her having her period, uh, and other other rules about hair covering and modest dress and so forth. So I, there's been a lot of social discourse on these topics, but I do think it's worth mentioning since we're getting questions on it. How does that? How do those things jive with this balance that we've been talking about on the show? and the centrality of the feminine energy in Jewish divinity? Well, you know, it's really, if we're going to talk about menstruation, it really fits in with uh, what we're talking about because the woman was given the ability to be even, so to say, a greater partner in the dynamic of creation. Of course, you know, the, the husband you know, gives the sperm and he's a partner with us in that creation, but it's the woman who's going to carry this child for nine months. And when a woman is carrying the baby, she is 24 hours, so to say, totally um, resembling godliness to the greatest extent possible. Um, and therefore, what is, you know, menstruation, like you said, is really a touch of death. It's, it's a potential life that wasn't. And therefore, there's this spiritual disconnect. And it's a time for a woman to concentrate on her relationship with God and to understand, you know, that life is all, God is all about life and living. And our reality in this world is that there still is death and dying, which seems, so to say, to be a disconnect from God because God is really only life and living. 
Right. Um, so it's really a time for us to, to connect spiritually with that concept and think to ourselves, like, what can we do to bring the Messianic era in where there will be no more death and dying? What, can, what does the world need to be able to bring down godliness that we will merit this time? So, like you said, a woman who's so in tune with God, her menstrual cycle actually is an indication to her of where she is in that spiritual journey, where the world is on the spiritual journey. And we know that today, you know, period is, is a fifth vital sign, which people, you know, right. don't realize really how important it is. And it's really about a woman being so in sync with God, even to her menstrual cycle. You can participate in this conversation about Shekhinah, the feminine divine in Judaism, by calling 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. Caller on, a couple callers, but caller on line four comes first. We're going to get to you in a second. And and you can also text a question. We've got a number of really interesting text questions to 917-428-4062. It's 917-428-4062 by SMS or WhatsApp. Nahami, before we move to, to the call, or the text question or the caller, what about the modesty rules? You know, the hair covering um, and the way you dress, how does that jive with this, with the, the centrality of the feminine divine in Judaism? Um, I think it's important to remember that when we think of modesty, we think of dress. But that is really just a small part of modesty. So much of modesty is in the way we act, the way we speak, and the way we think. And, you know, men are obligated in that just as much as women. And, you know, each of us are obligated. The concept of modesty is to be modest, it says, um, with God, to go in the modest way with God. We're We're supposed to try to have divine energy radiating from us. And this is what we want to manifest. So these rules of modesty, not just in clothing, but all, all along, are meant to help us access that divine and portray that divine. So along with the woman's dress, specifically a modest dress, helps a woman be seen as her body, not just as a body, but as a, you know, it holds the divine within it. And we want to, people to see that as opposed to just seeing the body as a thing on its own. Different way to look at, at these issues. I'm glad that I asked the question, and I think that it begs a quick lightning round of some other related questions. So if you guys are ready, often our second segment, or our third segment, rather, we do a, a lightning round. Okay, so related to, a, a listener sent a question with respect to your comment before, Hana, about menstruation representing kind of a touch of death and the the seriousness of that and the contemplation of that concept. And this listener wants to know what is the Jewish perspective on abortion. So the Jewish perspective on abortion is, um, first of all, that every child is an incredible gift from God and something that we do not take for granted. And we, um, so the Jewish approach to abortion in general is that absolutely not. This okay. is a child, this is a fetus from the time of conception. We protect it, we care about it, it's a human being. Okay. However, if the yeah, mother's sorry. life is in danger, uh, then there is that concept that a mother's life comes first. Okay, so that's that's the, the Jewish Orthodox uh, point of view. Thank you. Nahami, question about, uh, let me get to this question, lightning round here. Um, 
What about body autonomy? Why is sex before marriage condemned for women? Um, so, you know, when we consider the halakhic ramifications and the instructions of the Torah, they're meant to enhance us to the highest degree possible. The Torah is considered our wings, right? If we learn what the Torah is meant for, we'll feel like we're flying. So, you know, that's an important perspective to take. And then we can understand what are these specific limits or what are we should actually call them guidelines and parameters because, you know, limits is an uncomfortable word for us today. But if we think of guidelines and parameters, it's taking the best of ourselves and showing us how we can access that. So when we talk about intimacy before marriage, if we want to look at intimacy for the truest purpose of what it is, which is to bring a husband and a wife together in the closest way possible, not just physically close, but mentally close and emotionally close, this is the closest they can come together and the closest way they can be united with the Shekhinah, with God itself. So in a marriage which is um, founded on you know, this trust and this love and this building of emotions, then that would culminate in the physical action of coming together through intimacy. So when we kind of see that this is the process, and where Hashem instructed, you know, at some point a man will leave his home and become attached to a woman, this is in the process of building a home together because this is when they can come the closest they can to each other and to bring the Shekhinah into their relationship. So... Is a man allowed to be intimate sexually before marriage and a woman not, or is, the, or is the guideline the same for both? The guideline is the same for both. I see. Okay. So here's a listener calling me out, basically, because I said that we were going to get to Taharot to, HaMishpacha, uh, which you you are very involved with, Hannah, and I didn't get to that. So what is that? I said that in the intro. So I promise we get to it. Taharot HaMishpacha are laws of family purity, that actually, um, they, they are, that relate to the intimate life of the Jewish couple. Uh, it's all about bringing purity and wholeness into the Jewish family. It's, um, you know, many people think about that there are certain things that one is not allowed to do, like when a person menstruates, the couple separates physically. But Tarot HaMishpacha is all about also being together. Because we said the purpose is to become one, and that is specifically through intimate relations. The ideal state of marriage is when the couple are able to be one physically, and it is the vehicle through which God gave the couple the ability to become one. Okay. This is a good segue to another question. We'll do this as our last lightning round question, then we'll take a caller before our next break. Nahami, the question is, what does it mean in Jewish thought to be truly intimate, and where's, what is the role of sex in achieving this intimacy? Um, so to be truly intimate, and it's fascinating because the sages talk about this at length, which many people are surprised to hear, that they talk about, you know, such personal lives. People think, you know, my Jewish life and my intimate life are two separate things. But the sages talk a lot about what is intimacy, and intimacy is you know, being able to respond to each other in a very strong emotional way. And, you know, where one needs something and the other kind of knows what they need or they feel free to share and the other one responds in a way that answers the person's need. So there's, you know, a strong buildup of that emotional and mental connection. And, of course, it involves the physical connection because that is how a couple is not just 
emotionally connected, but this physical union feeds into their emotional connection as well. So we kind of become cyclical at a certain point. Okay, so the emotional connection comes first. To a certain extent. Um, you know, we often say for women to, you know, even feel in the mood that they want intimacy, they have to feel emotionally connected. And then we say for men to want to feel emotionally connected, the intimacy helps bring that love forward. Right. So, you know, it's, it's a balance that a couple needs to find and, and talk with each other and feel that each of their needs are so important. And the sages, you know, give a lot of room in their books to, to, to talk about this. Okay. I want to, I, I want to take the caller on line four who's been very, very patient. You're on the air. Good evening. The I great think, dove. I think that's Stan. Oh, <laughs> I'm girding myself, Stan. Take it easy. Take yeah. an aspirin. Will you relax? <laughs> How are you, first? I'm good. Nice to hear your voice. Ladies, good evening, ladies. Let me ask you a question, ladies. The topic tonight is religious divineness. Is that it? Is that what it is? Yeah, the feminine divine in Judaism. Okay, here's the question, ladies. About a week and a half ago, the President of the United States had in his office, I think, the President of Israel and his assistant, a lady. And while she's there, he is told, President, that this lady had 12 children. And the President talks to her, and it's not about policy. It's that he, she had 12 children, and he bows to her. And they made a big thing in the news about it. Where is the religious divineness and intimacy in this when you have 12 children? I think it's not divine. I think it's more of, I want to expand the herd. I want to, as other groups have done, uh, I'd like your view on that because I found it a little, him bowing, I guess he was just trying to be blind and said, wow, unbelievable lady, which she is. But I'd like your view on that. So, Hannah and Nahami, you, you both have uh, big families. Hannah, if I, you know, so, I've, great question. Is, 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 are large families part of this topic or is that something sociocultural? Give us, I'd like to hear both of your points of view. Well, first of all, it's important to know that there is a mitzvah in the Torah and um, an obligation of a husband to fulfill his wife um, sexually, to bring her satisfaction in that area of her life. And the Torah is replete with examples, and it has absolutely nothing for to the, do for the man to please the, to please the woman. Just to be clear, if someone didn't didn't hear. Oh, yes, to please the woman, that she should be satisfied in the sexual part of her life. And it's really has nothing to do, absolutely nothing to do with her ability to have children. And that's why this mitzvah will also apply when she is pregnant, when she is nursing, when she is past menopause, because there's two separate um, ideas. One is the incredible gift it is to have children, and one is the, the gift of connection the gift of becoming one. Um, God has decided that the incredible way he wanted children to be born into this world was through the unity and oneness and closeness of having children. Um, I mean, for us, you know, he does definitely say that every child you have brings you even closer, and we know that when you're so close to your spouse, you want to have children with them. You want to... That to bring it back um, to, I understood that that's the, a mitzvah for a non-Jewish listener, like a holy deed. To bring it back to the subject of, of this show, Nahami, is is procreation, having large families, kind of inti- 
intrinsically connected to the feminine divine in Jewish thought, or is is that a different set of kind of it, does, it, does it come more from the mitzvah that that uh, the dictate that 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 Hana is mentioning? You know, I think it's both. We have we we learn that every soul has something that they contribute to the world that no other soul can. And when we look at each child as having as being a gift to the world, that helps us understand this mitzvah of having large families. So it's not like a concept of like grow the herd kind of thing. It's a, it's an awareness that every child that comes forth is a gift to the world, and what a gift for the mother and the father to be able to be part of bringing this gift to the world. And, you know, when we look, when we look at around us and we try to find meaning in our lives, it's God wants us to make a home for him here. The Shechina, the um, feminine aspect of God, is dwelling amongst us and wants to find a place where it feels comfortable. And by every person contributing in that way, we are all part of a collective group. I cannot do your job. You cannot do mine. Each of us are needed to bring and feel the Shechina that is dwelling among us. So every child partakes in that. And, you know, this is why I, when I saw that picture, I said, wow, it's so special that, you know, this is being kind of recognized and embraced and seen as an accomplishment in the sense of, like, not her achievements, but kind of the mental road that she took to get to this mm-hmm. point. So I, I, I dropped Stan because we have an, another caller and question. We go to a break. And I, I wish I would have kept John Stan. I'm sorry, because I'll, so I'll ask a follow-up question on, on kind of his behalf, so to speak, in the same spirit. So, Nahami, what about a woman who is deeply rooted in her Jewish spiritual path and decides not to have children, does that disconnect her from the divine? Um, well, the decision to, to not have children, um, you know, when one learns a lot about what the Shekhinah is and what are the different roles of women and understands them and understands our unique place in the world, you know, after learning and coming to a lot of understanding, most women will be able to see that kind of a fulfillment of their energy is to be able to bring a child into the world. But we have to also honor that not every woman chooses to or is able to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that doesn't necessarily diminish their, you know, femininity or their contribution, so to speak. But, you know, we understand what, what is the intention here? What is the motivation? Why don't I want, why am I choosing not to have a child? Right. And, you know, and that helps explain what that concept it's, is. It's actually refreshing and unexpected for me to hear that, that level of openness. Of course, people have different, different life paths and, 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 and that one of them is, is not having children. Okay, we're going to take but our I, last break. But I think that it's also, um, if I just can add over here, that someone, there are many ways to have children, and one is biologically and one is spiritually. Mm. And when people um, help bring up children in many different ways, whether it supports schools or gives to children or helps in many different, we know, um, you know, community endeavors, to help children, it is considered as if these children are there. Oh, I had not heard that, and that, that's that's a beautiful. I guess that means I have many more children than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've been on the board yes. of a yeshiva for a number of years, and I've been, yes, done a lot 100%. of work. Yeah. 
All right. Well, we'll be right back on equal footing and, and uh, we'll finish up in this really interesting conversation on the feminine aspect of the, of the divine in Judaism with my wonderful guests, Nahami Feinland and Hannah Karlbach. We'll be right back. All right, I'm going to quickly get through our two other sponsors I have to mention tonight. And one of them is pretty apropos to this last topic we were talking about in terms of uh, intimacy and couples and the, the the connection between emotional and sexual intimacy. And it's about Manhattan Medical's very effective gains wave therapy for erectile dysfunction. And it's something that doesn't get talked about as much as it should. More than half of men in a lifetime will, will, will face this. And there is an option that doesn't involve expensive blue pills and doesn't involve side effects. You know, not everyone can use the standard medication that's out there for other uh, comorbidities and other issues. Gains wave therapy can help you achieve excellent results. It's non-invasive. It's surgery-free. It's painless. With Manhattan Medical, and I want to be clear, even though Manhattan's in the name, you can access Manhattan Medical Services from anywhere in the United States. They do a lot of virtual and Zoom sessions. There are no side effects from the Gaines Wave therapy, and and for most patients, you get wonderful results. I've mentioned before on a show that all of our sponsors mean something to me. They're, they're like either connected somehow to my life, and Manhattan Medical's connected because a very dear friend of mine who's like an uncle to me. He's in his mid-80s, and he struggled uh, to kind of regain his sex life and, and, and he used Manhattan Medical and it was the only thing that was effective and he's in his mid eighties and if it can work for him, it can work for you. Uh, this is really revolutionary. It's getting a lot of, uh, good press. Call now for free consultation. It's 888-ED-CURE-9. That's 888-ED-CURE-9. Or in numbers, 888-332-8739. That's 888- Three three two eight seven three nine, and if you mention you heard about Manhattan Medical on Equal Footing, you get a free consult, which is about a two hundred fifty dollar value. So call now, Manhattan Medical. All right, now let's talk quickly about DocuVax. DocuVax has also been a long term sponsor. DocuVax is also in the medical realm, but in a totally different area of it, and that's in helping keeping your medical records organized. Maybe you're a medium sized business owner. Maybe you're a parent trying to keep your children's vaccine information organized. There's an easier way than relying on your doctor, relying on your insurance company, relying on your you know messy files at home, or if you're like me, your messy files on your desktop or your laptop computer. It's DocuVax. That's D-O-C-U-V-A-X.com. Go online. They're also on uh, iOS and Android stores on your smartphone. It's an easy-to-use digital locker accessible either on your computer or smartphone, and it allows you to safely store and validate basic medical information, like your immunization records, your lab results, even x-rays and MRIs. Gone are the days of losing time tracking down old medical records or sharing test results with a new healthcare provider. Your medical records and your family's medical records belong to you, not your insurance company, not your doctors. you got to know when you have to take your next vaccine. You have to know when you need to take your next colorectal or breast cancer screening. You have to understand the results from your serology tests. So sign up. Go to DocuVax.com or call 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933 for as little as $6.99 per month. That's $6.99 per month. You can take 
control of your medical records, understand them better, you get medical professionals on call to you 24 hours a day to validate your vaccine records, your blood tests, or explain anything else in your liber- in your uh, medical locker. It's in a secure, HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility, so your data is always secure. Sign up for DocuVax. You can do it online or call 833-859-1933. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on All right, back for our last little segment here on Equal Footing. I'm joined by Hannah Karlbach and Nahami Feinland, and we've been talking about the Shekhinah, the feminine divine in Judaism. I want to thank you, Hannah and Nahami, for being so open. As we often close on Equal Footing, I'd like you to take a bit of a devil's advocacy position. I'd like you to kind of get out of your comfort zone for a sec. And when you, and let's start with you, Hannah. When you hear from one of your students or someone you're mentoring, some deep concern about the, you know, the, the gender roles, feminine role in, in Judaism or a misconception of the importance of, of the, of the feminine aspect of the divine in, in Judaism. I'm sure you teach them that they're not, they're not seeing it the right way, but have maybe some compassion for a moment and, and tell us what you think is kind of the, the one aspect that you wish we could do better as as Jews in in helping people uh, kind of resolve this this area of potential tension, at least in their understanding. I think that we need to start educating children um, in a young age, in you know, in the elementary, even 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 younger, but start having them understand their specialty, their abilities, their powers, their gifts, and of appreciating the opposite gender as well and understand how we work together. I talk about this all the time, and we are getting better, but not enough. We need to empower our women. We need to empower our men. We need to empower them to work together and to understand how that is possible. I love that. Teach little little boys to, 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 to understand that that feminine energy in a respectful way earlier in their in their path. I'm sorry to cut you off because we're going to run out of time. Nakami, you have the last word. What, what what can we do better? Where can where can we acknowledge kind of a a blind spot if you if if you will in terms of honoring the feminine divine in Judaism? I think as a whole in all our communities, we can teach ourselves and teach our families that what we place value on has to be what's really important. Often it's whatever shouts loudest at us, whatever has the most financial value, who, you know, all these superficial, superficial, you know, barometers that we use to determine the value of something. And often if we take a little step deeper and learn a little bit more than we have and we come to see that a lot of what we thought was valuable you know, it doesn't take us far. And if we can, you know, use that time to focus on what is important, our relationships with God, with ourselves, with our family, and those are things that are truly valuable, then we will come to understand our roles in each of those relationships even better. That's beautiful. Nahami, thank you. Hannah, thank you. I want to apologize to those folks that send in sent in text questions to decide another one I would have loved to have gotten to and uh, for those we couldn't get to on the line we'll be back next week on Equal Footing have a great week she always-
seems so happy in a crowd Whose eyes can be so private and so proud No one's allowed to see them when they cry She may be the love that cannot hope to last May come to me from shadows of the past That I remember